Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I am your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I have a very unique guest. I don't think any other guest that I've ever had has quite the same bio or interests or background like my guest today. Uh, going to be diving into some pretty cool topics. Going to be talking about you know predictions for the future and where things are headed with smart devices and voice search and other futuristic cool stuff. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce, and we are thrilled to underwrite this program and bring some amazing guests to you. I have a question for you: How is your YouTube game? Are you using YouTube to help scale your e-commerce business? Hopefully, you're using YouTube both as a remarketing vehicle and also for top of funnel growth. However, if you're like most e-commerce companies, then you're probably not fully leveraging YouTube. So, I have two free resources for you. The first is a two-minute crash course on YouTube ads. I recorded this with the famous Ezra Firestone. So you can check that out by looking at the links in the show notes to this show. You can also Google Smart Marketer and Two Minute Crash Course, and you'll find the resource there. Also, we recorded a 90-minute webinar outlining exactly how we scale with YouTube. We talk about keys to a great YouTube ad. We talk about audience targeting. We talk about bidding, optimization, and much, much more. So I highly, highly recommend you check it out. You can also find that linked here in the show notes. It's also at the bottom of the two-minute crash course page. So check them out and start scaling with YouTube. And now, back to the show. My guest today is Matt Ward. And Matt is a serial entrepreneur, built an Amazon business, built other businesses. He's had several exits along the way. And now he's just kind of doing a lot of stuff he really finds interesting. He's a host of a really interesting podcast. He's interviewed the likes of Seth Godin and Neil Patel and Tim O'Reilly and lots of different people. So he runs the Fringe FM, um, kind of exploring the edges of human understanding. He'll talk more about his podcast in a little bit, but I am super excited to be chatting with Mr. Matt Ward. Matt, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Basically, it's uh, it's the ADD guy. That's the that's the description. And <laughs> we had to, we had to rebrand the we had to rebrand the show. It's disruptors.fm. It turns out the fringe.fm are the legitimate UFO hunters. So we had to get ourselves as quickly away from them as possible because we were scaring off the the Nobel laureates and such. Got it. Got it. Yeah. The the UFO topic that will generally cause some people to go running for the hills for sure. So, uh, okay, cool. We'll, we'll link up to the podcast in the show notes. We'll dive into your podcast more uh, in a little bit, which I'm excited to do. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Amazon and, and Google and Facebook, kind of how they're all working together and some some things that are that are uh, uh, going to be shaping e-commerce in the future. But if you would, kind of give you know your 90-second background or thereabouts, a couple-minute background on... What did you do with your FBA business or your your Amazon business? How'd you build that? How'd that go? How what was that exit like? 
So I got into e-commerce when I realized there was no way I was working for someone. I got into dropshipping and found my way to fail quite quickly and ultimately got into crowdfunding. This was early on in Kickstarter, Indiegogo. I started a podcast, Art of the Kickstart. It became the number one podcast. And that was a problem. If you're helping people raise money, they don't have jack to pay you with. And that led me to (laughs) Amazon and manufacturing my own products. Throughout this time, I was living in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Vietnam. I moved to China. I worked with a factory there and I started an outdoors company, essentially weight labeling products, putting my own brand on it, and then importing to the US and Europe and selling there. Things went really well. It took off and started to consume all my time. And I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put everything on this and I'm going to start a podcast, FBA All-Stars. I no longer run the podcast. Someone else runs it now. But I started a podcast because I saw a lot of the Amazon podcasts, at least at the time, were basically saying, gosh, guys, this is so easy. Here's my course. It's only $2,000. And I'm like, come on. So I would basically tell people, here's what I'm doing. Here's what actually works. Here's the gray hat stuff. Here's the white hat stuff. And here's yeah, the black hat stuff. It's not actually that easy. Like you got to just like it's, anything. It's, it's not, like, it's not that it. easy. You got to work at it and you don't have to pay someone to do it. And I hated that. I hated that lack of transparency. So I started a podcast and I was able to make pretty decent money basically saying, here's the five tools that actually helped me be awesome in my business. And I got some affiliate money so I could live while I was working, reinvest 100% into the business and scale it up from there. I had a, I needed some type of tagline or thing to get people hooked on the podcast. So I said, step one to seven figures. And I said, I'll sell the business at the end of the year for seven figures. That was a joke, a hyperbole to get people involved. But it, people more and more started to get involved and see how it was going. And I was like, you know what? Business is taking off. Let's see if I can actually do this. I scaled the business up. I sold it. It might have been 13 months. But I hit the goal and it's on an earnout now. So it worked out quite well. But I learned a ton along the way in terms of where the world is headed with Amazon specifically. And then from that, I had the money to focus. It was never a passion project. It was much more of a, let's make some money so I can focus on shit that actually matters. I'll try not to swear on the podcast. Sorry. But uh, no worries. No worries. That was, yeah, that was basically where I wanted to be was how do I have the time and energy so I can focus on the important problems that humanity is facing. And that's kind of what I'm doing today as an advisor and investor. And then primarily through the the disruptors.fm stuff. Cool. So uh, love it. Love love what you're doing now. Super interesting stuff. So what were some of the, like if you could kind of boil it down to just a few of the tips and things that that worked for you, what allowed you to go from zero to the million dollar, uh, you know, sell, uh, sale of your business or some of the things you did differently? I'll say there were really two things. Part of it was timing. So I was just early enough into the Amazon game. I got there before the the review rules changed in terms of giving away products and getting reviews. And I kind of... I don't know if I pioneered, but I was one of the people that popularized and probably shouldn't have the doing that and having people search for the products and go through the keywords and figure out these are the things that you want to rank for. And I would get products ranked on the first page after having a one review and just having started the product. So it, I was really able to push the limits on a lot of that stuff. And it, I mean, you can call it what you want. It was probably gray hat at the time. Sure. But at the, at the same time, Amazon had in their terms of service, you're essentially not allowed to do anything in terms of trying to give yourself an advantage over the competition. So they basically said, don't try to market or sell or do any type of <laughs> copywriting. So every Amazon seller said, we don't really care about any of the rules. So yeah. I, I, pushed, I pushed the boundaries on there and I was willing to reinvest everything. So I started with the first product. I launched with 2,000 units. It, it cost me around eight grand. And that was a ton of money for me at the time. But I remember I, I had a friend and he's like, make sure that you buy enough inventory so that you can sell your face off and be able to reinvest and buy more product before you run out. Basically, you want to keep that momentum going because in e-commerce especially, and especially especially in Amazon or any type of platform play, 
If you're trying to build off of something like that, they want to make money. They want their consumers to be happy. They don't care about you. But that momentum is what gets them money and shows that consumers are liking it. So you have to keep that momentum. So I put a ton of effort into that momentum and then into scaling products more quickly. In terms of why I was able to do it so quickly, it comes down to being willing to, to try new things and take risks. And then PPC. I, I bought, um, I went heavy into advertising in terms of Amazon, in my opinion, has the best advertising engine in the world, especially for e commerce products. You're able to get very, very granular. And I worked incredibly hard every single week on optimizing the PPC. I knew a lot of people that were doing a set it and forget it type mindset. And I was, I was probably spending five hours a week just pouring over PPC reports. I was, it was nuts during this time working on the business. And I will say it was something that became, more of an obsession that I than I like to say. I would wake up thinking <laughs> about Amazon and advertising and stuff like that during the nights on a pretty consistent basis. So it it definitely ruined me in a lot of ways, but it was something that I learned a lot from and definitely yeah. definitely don't regret. And you hit your goal and, and now you're able to do a lot of cool things that that you know that helped make possible, which is really exciting. So it's like actually music in my ears. I, I love Amazon PPC, I, I think it is an amazing advertising platform. It's a huge part of what we do at OMG Commerce. And in fact, I'm speaking at the Prosper Show in Las Vegas in a few months, talking about Amazon PPC and Amazon DSP, which is their demand side platform and display ads. We're going to have some podcasts coming up talking about those topics as well. But, but you're right. I, I think you combine the ease of shopping and the high conversion rates on Amazon with, with a great ad platform that's getting better all the time, it can be a huge win for for sellers for sure. And the so, most important hack, guys, get a credit card where you get 3x points. So Chase Sapphire, we still have it today. Three times whatever you're spending on advertising, you get those in flight points. So I'm flying free forever, essentially. It's incredibly, it's incredibly, incredibly nice. For the longest time, I couldn't get a credit card. I had no credit because paid for college on my own and all that good stuff. But find a way to get a business credit card because you will love the benefits if you're spending. Absolutely. You got to leverage it. We, we do that all the time with our business and leverage actually multiple cards for the different rewards, uh, kind of in different scenarios, always pay it off, of course, but, but leveraging, it's just another financial instrument you can leverage and another benefit, you know, a couple, couple percentage points that you can put back in your pocket, back in the business that you can use to grow. Lo- love that advice for sure. Um, what, from your perspective, and, and I know you're, you're involved in some pretty awesome things and you're thinking about the future and all kinds of stuff. So, so maybe, you know, you're not, yeah, I know you're not in the daily Amazon game, maybe like you used to be, but what do you think is next for a lot of Amazon sellers? What do you think Amazon sellers should be thinking about or considering as they look to grow their business, you know, this year and beyond? I think you have to have something that's very, very differentiated. Not you're selling something and you have a two-pack and everyone else has a one-pack type deal. (laughs) You have to be selling something that is highly, highly unique, something that people want, something that people love. Otherwise, your business is dead in three to five years because Amazon is launching more and more Amazon Basics products. We were talking about that a little before. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into the smart home stuff. But Amazon's basically using sellers to get all of the data so that they can find, oh, look, this wrench is selling really well. Let's go to this guy's supplier. Let's import it for cheaper. We have better unit volume, so we get even better prices. And now let's put ourselves at number one. We'll lower the price a little bit because your margin is my opportunity, of course. Mm -hmm. And then let's sell everything that we can do. So what Amazon's doing is they've been doing this over time. And you just see this proliferation of Amazon products growing and growing and growing and growing. I would say if you're running an e-commerce brand, there's there's really two options that you have. The first option would be 
to sell the business. And I say that first because that's kind of the scare tactic one. But if it's not something that you're passionate about and you could get a good multiple, I don't think it's a bad idea. The other option is to focus heavily on building off of Amazon so that you're able to build something long-term and sustainable. For that, you've got to figure out how do you acquire customers? Is it advertising? Is it social media? Is it content creation, SEO type stuff? You've got to figure out something there and then start to create more unique products that people love. You've got to have some very, very differentiated values because in the in the future, consumer packaged goods, anything that can be commoditized, if it's toilet paper, if it's if it's a desk, if it's socks, if it's anything that I just don't care what in God's name the brand is, then that will become more and more and more and more commoditized. The prices will go down and eventually you'll lose your business if you're not preparing for that in advance. Yeah, 100% agree. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast and I have other guests that speak about the importance of building a brand and building a community. But I think this underscores it, right? If you're selling, if you're selling HDMI cables or if you are selling your own brand of battery back in the day, now Amazon is owning those categories. It's a commodity. You don't care what brand your HDMI cable says. You don't care what ba- brand is on your battery. And, and Amazon proved that and they, and they found those categories and they exploited them. And now that's huge. Now Amazon sells more batteries than, than um, Duracell and Energizer and all those others online. And then their brand is, is relatively new. You know, in, in comparison, it's a baby. Um, but the other brands, but, but it's dominating. So yeah, if there's a product where the consumer doesn't really care what the brand is, it's a very much a commodity, look out because Amazon is coming for you and they'll be coming for you quickly. I believe, and well, it's, it's not just, I believe we're observing it. Amazon's also launching things in the apparel space. So, so shirts, I've even got some uh, good threads shirts on this armor right now, but that's uh, pretty good brand and, and, and slacks and they're, they're expanding into some of these other things, but the brands that are, that are safe in that Amazon can't completely knock them off is, you know, companies that have a brand like a Nike, right? So, so Amazon can't, directly compete with Nike or they're never going to say, I'm going to create my own Nike or something. Um, so, you, you know, Nike continues to build their community. They have spokespeople. They've got a cool factor. There's a reason for people to want Nike. They've, they've built their business all off of Amazon. Now they're still just doing a little bit on Amazon, but that need to have a unique story, a unique product, uh, a unique angle, maybe, uh, you know, just um, something about you as the founder or, or why the company exists, all that is, is super important um, and going to be more important as Amazon continues to grow and expand their, their private label offering or owned brands as, they, as that expands, it'll be more important. I would definitely agree with that. I would say in terms of, I would say that no company is safe because Amazon has the largest Great. pocketbook in the world as well. So let's say Amazon really did want to play this game. Amazon goes and buys Reebok. Amazon goes and buys an existing player who's not, not that valuable because they have to play in the existing retail paradigm. And Amazon's... I don't, I don't think all of commerce is dead. I don't want to come off as a doomsdayer there. But I think you have to think about these type of things when you are building a business for the future. You've got to think about what is the, what is the unique value that you're providing to customers. And value almost, comes, all, almost always comes down to emotional value. Look at Apple. Apple has been able to drag their customers through essentially the mud and dirt and nails for the past five years of changing the ports and having new dongles and increasing the prices and not changing very much because they have such a loyal customer base that they're willing to wait outside more or less on their hands and knees to get the next iPhone. 
How do you build loyalty like that into your customer base? Eventually, obviously, their loyalty will start to go away. And that's not a sustainable model. But they built so much of that initially, that cool factor, that people are willing to pay more and more and more and more for something that is comparable or same quality as existing cheaper solutions. So I think what we're seeing right now, and I think that actually underlines a very strong trend. You see the Android Apple system. You have more or less lower end commoditized options and higher end luxury options. And I think we're going to see that more and more and more spaces as people opt for one or the other. Are you the person and you'll opt for the you'll opt for the luxury stuff for the stuff that matters the most to you. Yes. If you're a yes. skier, that's the nice stuff that you'll buy, but you buy the bum shirt, the bum shoes. I don't care what my bed is. I don't care what type of coffee maker I'm using. I don't care about any of that stuff, but I want the good ski stuff because I'm a skier. Whatever it is for you, that's the thing that you typically spend the money on. But everything else that's not that thing is, in my opinion, getting commoditized. Slowly yeah. but steadily. Yep. I totally agree. I love that perspective. Super interesting. So as we, as you and I were talking kind of pre-show, and, and I know you've written a book kind of on the... Uh, you know, Facebook, uh, Apple, Google, and uh, Amazon. It's interesting, a, a huge topic that relates to, to the show and to what, to what we do as an agency, to what our clients do is, you know, voice search and smart home devices. And this is a topic that's endlessly fascinating to me. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast before, we're, we're an Echo family right now. I love Google, um, but we're, we're an Echo family. I think we have eight Echo devices we have in a lot of our rooms. We use it as an intercom. Oh. We, uh, I know, I know, I know. There's like some, some, probably some all kinds of privacy things you could, you could scare me with there. And I've just kind of tried to ignore that. <laughs> but yeah. we use it uh, as an intercom. And then, we, of course, we order. I order through Amazon. We use it for as a music player. So uh, lot, lots of utility there for sure. Uh, but how do you see... Voice search. What what are, what are the trends you see there? And you made a comment in one of your books, I believe, where you know the company that that kind of owns voice search will own it all, um, uh, or at least when you know when thinking about Google. But but what are some of the trends you see there? Let's talk voice search first, and then we'll dig into kind of the, the smart home devices in general. I think this just builds on the previous trend that we have. So, especially with Amazon, I think Amazon will ultimately win because Amazon consumers seem to trust them. They trust Bezos for whatever reason, despite the crazy eyes. But basically what's happening, and we'll get, in, we'll get into the get even the larger... Despite, he, I mean, you can kind of tell he's an intense guy. That's why he built a trillion dollar business because he looks bugged out and jacked. But mm. essentially what's happening is Amazon's looking for how do we control the consumer experience and how do we have that attention because that's what's been monetized so much. That's the problem. That's how for lack of a better words, we got Trump elected and other things is that monetization of attention leads to a focus on advertising economies. Amazon is able to play a different game. If they're able to hold your attention, they're able to sell you product. So you have this Amazon, you've got the Alexa in your home, the dot, whatever it is. Well, Amazon recently bought Whole Foods about a year and a half ago. It was a, it was a $13 billion acquisition. And the value of the grocery chains, the top three competitors, their market caps dropped $13 billion. They subsidized the acquisition. Yes. It's, it's, it's unreal. But, but what happens by having this is 
you've got eight, eight echoes in your home. I imagine you have one in the kitchen. You might have one close to the bathroom, whatever. Hey, Alexa, we ran out of toilet paper. We need more. What are they going to send you? They're going to send you the Amazon basics version. It might not happen immediately, but I guarantee you it's going to be split tested and happening more and more over time where they're able to determine the percentage of Amazon products they send you. And eventually you get to the point where Amazon is only sending Amazon products if they have an Amazon option because you are not uh, you're not specifying what you want. And by not specifying, you leave enough vagueness in the request for them to give you what they want you to have. Now that gets paired really nicely when you consider the Whole Foods acquisition. Amazon has been trying to get into grocery since forever and they failed over and over and over. And it's because grocery is different than goods. Groceries go bad. Your bread, your milk, whatever it is, suddenly it's rotten and gross. So you're not able to effectively do it unless you have the network on both sides, equal supply and demand. Too much of either would kill the network. The other problem is Amazon could start offering some products on Amazon.com, the basically the non-perishables, things that last. But I still have to go to the grocery store every single week to buy the other half of the stuff I need. So it doesn't save me any time. It actually costs more time. But by buying Whole Foods and buying an existing functional network effect, uh, existing functional network of supply and demand with 365 locations around the US and some of the best consumers in the marketplace in terms of these are the rich folks that are willing to spend some money on being healthy. Suddenly they're able to say, okay, we were selling 10 units of bread per month in each of these locations. What if we stocked up to 13? And now we start advertising heavier on amazon.com. And if we're not able to sell those extra three, you know what? We just mark down the price in store and we end up liquidating those Worst case scenario. Oh, we sold out too fast. Next week, we scale this up faster and faster. They're able to do it at a much easier pace of scaling things up without worrying about those massive spoilage <coughs> costs. And they're able to save people all of that time and money. So eventually, what happens is you're in your kitchen. You say, hey, hey, Alexa, next week, let's have, let's have chicken parmesan. We want to have lasagna. Wednesday night, we're going to have Freddie over and we need this. And you're able to go through and have the recipes looking at exactly what's needed, exactly what you have, and placing those orders so that they come to you without you even having to think about it. And I think that's the world that we're moving towards in terms of what Amazon is doing on the commerce side of things, both for food, for goods, for everything. Because when they get to decide, they will decide what makes the most sense for them. Yeah, it's super interesting. Now, most of the way I'm using our Echo devices is to reorder. That, that's that's kind of been the, the, what I've heard and read for most people. And so I'll say things like what I do most often is, hey, hey uh, uh, Alexa, reorder my protein powder. And then she'll say, hey, there are two things in your purchase history that, that, that meet that uh, request. And so then they'll, they'll suggest it. I will say though, there was this, I think it was Body Logics was the, was the protein powder that I bought for a long time, grass-fed whey. And it was like out of stock for a while. I don't know why. And then Google, then Amazon started recommending the Amazon Basics. And I like it. It's good. So that's, that's what I buy now. So it's an Amazon product. Uh, it's, it's happening. Just and you start, you start out it. You start out with the, as least amount of pushiness as possible. If you're trying to elbow your way in, it's like if you, uh, for people that have dogs, my dogs will do this when you're feeding them. They're both kind of fighting for the other one's food. So they'll get like underneath and try to start sliding their way into the other one until they can eventually steal the other dog's food. And that's what's happening is they kind of need you to get used to using this system, used to trusting them before they slowly make that trust wither away because then you feel like nothing's changed. It's like your hair growing. Yep. You don't even notice the difference. Yep. Yep. Really, uh, really good analogy with the dogs there. That, that's, 
That's phenomenal. And and the, the Whole Foods acquisition is is extremely fascinating. And just looking at the the convenience factor there, uh, my wife uh, does the buy online pickup and store. We don't actually have Whole Foods locally. We do the buy online pickup and store at Walmart. And that's just saved us an immense amount of time. It's the convenience factor is amazing. And Walmart's actually doing a phenomenal job at that. I think that's one thing you, you may begin to see trends of maybe even higher income people utilizing Walmart because of that, depending, I don't know, we'll see. Um, but that's something that, you know, hey, if I can place my Whole Foods order on my Amazon device, my Alexa device, then go pick it up. Like that's, that's some cool stuff. And, and that is definitely going to, to happen for sure. Um, if I had to pick a winner and who I thought, hey, this is the, the company that's going to own the smart home and, and win this voice search and, and all of that, I'd have to agree. I think it's Amazon. I think, I think they've got a head start. I think there's so much uh, usefulness there. I'm a Google guy. I have been for a long, long time because our agency, we run Google ads and that's a huge part of what we do. But I don't, I don't own a, a Google Home. I don't really have a huge desire to. I think an Echo just makes a lot more, more sense. Um, how do you kind of see? And, and obviously, we'll see what the future holds. But how do you see Google kind of shaking out in all of this? What, what are your maybe some wild predictions or, or some some not so wild predictions about what happens to Google and all this? So first, uh, you mentioned the book before. Anybody can get it for free if they go to disruptors.fm slash free. I decided to give the book away for free. It's basically each company has a 30-minute chapter. It'll take you about 30 minutes to read each chapter on where the company's at, where they're headed, acquisitions, potential. But in terms of where Google's headed, I think it's really interesting. So Google's business right now is... eighty. I want to say it's 86.5% is advertising. So Google is an incredibly huge company, but a big percentage of that advertising is just traditional search ads. What happens as more and more of search goes to voice? I know I, I don't have one of the devices in my home. I wouldn't trust any of them right now. But I, it's probably smart, dude. Yeah. Totally when, I, when, I, when I think about it, do I want to say, hey, Google, um, what's happening right now in the city? Or, hey, Google, um, what movies are on? Do I want to hear like seven different ads for Netflix and Hulu and other things that I don't actually want before I get to the results I want? And the answer is, of course, no. I think advertising is much more intrusive when it comes to audio, and even more so than probably video because we haven't been trained to deal with that. And I think if Google tries to employ a similar model of advertising, they'll find themselves in trouble. So what happens when they have to start replacing a lot of this search-based revenue with other forms of revenue? I think that's a big part of Google's moonshot division is looking at what could be the next business of the future. I think autonomous vehicles and driving are definitely a big candidate for that, which is why yep. they've invested yep. so heavily. Excited we won't about that. We won't necessarily get into that now other than consider the implications of driving around hands-free and what that can do for e-commerce when suddenly you can be watching things on Netflix, ordering things on Amazon. Those are the obvious examples. Or you can have an autonomous vehicle drive up and have a masseuse hop in your car and a chef hop in because it's not actually a car. It's just like a... It's just like a functioning room that's driving you somewhere else. There's really interesting applications that happen there. In in terms of where Google's headed, I think Google's in a pretty good position because they have played with so many other bets, as they like to call it. They have a lot of different things that are happening. YouTube is incredibly powerful. Google... Google's failed so bad when it comes to social media and when it comes to e-commerce. Epically. They they recently partnered with with Walmart and I, I wrote a long article about it and I said it was like a... 
is like the dying whale trying to hold on to the um, drowning pig or whatever. It's basically two old dead giants in the water trying to save each other, but drowning as they pull each other down. And I think that's what's happened right now. I would love to see Google have buy a company like an Etsy, buy one of these more niche type e-commerce sites to try to create some type of play in the space because a big part of their advertising, especially in the past, it's becoming less and less and less now, was Amazon. They were Amazon was bidding big on Google ads. They don't have to anymore because people go directly to Amazon to buy things. They don't even consider Google as an option. And in most instances, that's probably better because Google gives you worse results at this point. But where does Google go from here? That's a that's a big question. And I think it's something that they're not really sure about either, which is why you see so many different things happening. I think their founders have a bit of the ADD as well. So they kind of like to bounce around with different things. They're thinking about China. They're thinking about other ways that they can expand. But I think their future is in the AI, uh, the deep learning, the autonomous vehicle side of things. I totally agree on the AI side. And, and you know, they even say, uh, you know, uh, uh, the CEO Pachai, he said, uh, Pichai, he said that you know they're an AI first company. I think they have always kind of always have been, but but that's kind of what what they're living by and and speaking about a lot now. Um, I would agree that that you know it's going to be harder for like the Google Home to play in the e-commerce space than it is for the Echo devices. Right for the Echo devices, it's just, it's just natural. It's easy. It makes sense. You know, Google has launched uh, Google Express and then. Google Shopping Actions. And Google Shopping Actions is kind of what they call the program for merchants, for the advertisers. But basically, it's where you can check out with Google, purchase with Google. And we're helping some of our clients with this. It's relatively new. It's so new that there's not a lot. I can't get too excited about it one way or the other. But this is where you could say, you know, hey, Alexa, uh, reorder. Or, or, I mean, I'm sorry. Hey, Google, and this shows the branding already. Uh, thinking of Alexa's on my mind for, for anything voice related. But, you know, hey, Google, uh, buy me Tide. And then, you know, you can do the checkout with Google. It can be delivered, you know, through Google Express and things like that. Um, but it's, it's still, it, it can be more convoluted. Yeah, I think you can't insert ads per se. It's going to be really interesting to see how, how they do that. Um, I am bullish on the Google Home Hub and maybe tying that into like your Ring device and things like that. And See, the way but that Amazon, Amazon owns Ring. That's true. And, and and again, I mean, if I had to pick one, I think Amazon's going to win. Um, I, I hope we don't. Found- I hope we don't have a platform wars again where they're where they're jerks and won't work with each other. And like you go into your house and half the things don't work. That's what that's what I think we need to avoid. And I think the company that can bridge that gap will be the one that ultimately ends up winning. Whether that's one of the players bridging the gap and essentially making their devices cross-compatible, or whether that's someone like a a Zapier coming in and connecting different functionality between different networks and making it seamless. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, I kind of know already because we chatted about it just for a few seconds before the show started, but what's your take on the Facebook portal and, and the future there? Would you trust Mark Zuckerberg with anything? Come on. <laughs> they they have a little they have a little like thing you can put on top to cover up the camera just in case you find it creepy. I I have no idea why they did this. I feel like this is what this reminds me of is the the sunk in, the sunk cost fallacy or the opportunity cost. Essentially, I bet you they've been working on this for so long they felt like they had to release it. 
and they, they shouldn't have released it. So this is hands down the worst time possible to release something like this when all of us are more or less realizing that there's no morals at Facebook. They kind of handed over election. All of your data is getting... Have you ever looked at your Facebook data? It's terrifying. I look at messages I sent to people 12 years ago and everything has never gone away. It, it's really creepy to look into, but I think, I think the Facebook portal, maybe that gets adoption with older people who essentially Facebook is their internet, which you can definitely see this because right now, the only older generations are really using Facebook much for more than just messaging. I know I have the, the newsfeed blocked and I'll use it as a messaging tool to message different people I'm only connected to on Facebook. But other than that, it's, it's completely worthless for younger folks. And I think that that's just becoming more and more, uh, more and more just um, obvious to to the the economy and everybody as a whole. I don't see Facebook making strides in in the home space. I don't think they're going to gain that trust back. People might not delete the app, but they can't be stupid enough to buy this thing and put it in their house. Yeah, I, I think that the, so. A couple things. Uh, one, uh, you know, just talking about Facebook in general and as an ad platform and stuff like that. I think there's still a lot of value there with using Facebook as an ad platform. But speaking to the point that that for younger people, there's not much value. I, I have teens. I have three teens. Not, they're not really talking much about Facebook. They all want to do stuff on Instagram. Which, to, to, to Mark Zuckerberg's credit, you know, Facebook owns Instagram. But most young people want to be on Instagram, not on on Facebook. So, so that's interesting, um, and we'll see if that trend continues or or if that changes as as people get older. But looking at the the portal, I mean, I, I don't, I don't. When I first saw the ad for it, I'm like, I, I don't see the value. Why, why would I have this? I, I have Echo devices. Why would I get this? The the only interesting thing to me is that the camera follows you around, and I have heard that the the call quality is very good. That it's better than Skype. It's better than Google Hangouts. It's better than all that. But basically, the 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 you, the differentiator is the camera follows you around. So my thing would be, uh, unless there's some kind of crazy patent on that, Google can create a camera that's similar, and so can they're Amazon. All pat- they're so, all patent trolls, so we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, uh, so yeah, to me, it's like I don't know. I mean, you're you're buying it just for the calling feature. I don't see it going anywhere. I have heard read a few reviews of people that say. I know you shouldn't trust Facebook, but this is amazing for calling. But to me, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see yeah. that it's got much of a fire. future. We it, shall see. If I was Bezos, I would give away an Amazon dot, uh, an Echo dot to everyone in America, to every single household. It would cost almost nothing. You can tell they're subsidizing it with how cheap they're selling it. But if you give those away, you could kind of just win the game anyways. And we kind of already talked about what the end game for that is going to be. They could probably give it away and give away Prime for a couple of months you get people hooked. And the nature of people is once you give them a luxury, they're, they're perfectly fine without it, like salt. People were fine without salt. And then they discovered salt and it was like, holy shit, what have we been eating? We need to go to Asia and get as much of this as possible. And after that, you can never really go back because we never really are able to turn ourselves or our expectations back. That's why you see bankers that lose $10 million and still have 10 million in the bank jumping off of buildings is the change in expectations. Well, if Amazon's able to change those expectations and make them be the expectation and Prime be the expectation and instant delivery be the expectation, people don't go back. If I was Bezos and I had the money, I would probably try an experiment like that with a town and see how it works. And if it works, just roll it out. That that would be that would be really interesting. And I have noticed that, you know, when I travel or something, I don't have 
uh, an Alexa device near me and I want to check what the weather is or whatever. I'll sometimes, you know, catch myself just before I say Alexa, uh, and, because there's no device with me at that, at that time. Um, so, you know, we talked about, we talked about Google and talked about how they're, you know, they're, they're, they're investing in moonshots and, and potentially the owners, you know, uh, have some ADHD and they're always testing new things and whatnot. Uh, I know one of the things that the Larry Page has always talked about is, you know, think about 10 Xing something, or just think about growth, think about 10 Xing something. So uh, we'll get a little bit broader here, talk kind of entrepreneurial stuff, mindset stuff that'll help you grow and grow rapidly. But uh, you talk about, you know, 10X results don't require 10X effort. What do you mean by that? And, and what's, what's kind of the underlying truth that entrepreneurs need to latch onto? What I've learned from working with entrepreneurs from all levels is that, and from my own experiences as well, is that it doesn't take that much more effort to do something significantly larger. It takes just a, a change in thought, a change in the frame of reference. So there's a couple of different ways to think about this. One is the type of goals that you're trying to go for. For like, So let, let's say with you, with your agency, we'll make up a number and say you're doing a million dollars a year. It doesn't matter if it is or not, but we don't want to make that public. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you wanted, to, you wanted to scale the business. You wanted to make it a $10 million business, a $100 million business. What would you have to do? I guarantee you, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now. You wouldn't have the same type of people that you do now. The processes wouldn't be different, would be completely different. You'd be selling to different types of clients. It would probably be enterprise type stuff. And you'd be going really, really big with what you were doing. Well, why aren't you doing that now? And those are kind of the questions that I think about in terms of how can you get to an even higher place that you never thought possible? What I see a lot with entrepreneurs, especially the ones that are getting started or relatively smaller in terms of the team size, is they underestimate themselves. They set a goal of, I want to get to $100,000 a year. I want to get to a million dollars a year. And they're not able to think or go beyond that. And what you see in business especially is that there's a... It's a great rap quote. For every level, there's another devil. And basically what it means is what... Like what got, going to rap lyrics. Uh, I, I can go and... I used to listen to way too much rap in the gym. I listen to more positive stuff now, so it's not so negative. But it's, it's, it's really true. Like getting to that $1 million mark, getting to that $10 million mark, the $100 million mark, each of those is going to require completely different skills. They're going to require new types of management, new... T- people in your hierarchy. They're going to require different ways of selling, different ways of running the systems of your organization, different ways of approaching everything that you do, which is why you rarely see founders stick it out all the way through to the end. Bezos and Zuckerberg are the exceptions in this, not the rule. And I think when you're able to think like that, you can think, well, what if I did want to build this bigger? How would I do that? And what would I change today? And can I do that with the same amount of effort that I would put into this other thing and get to those results faster. You might not get all the way there, but if you're shooting for $100 million and you come up 10% short versus shooting for a million dollars and you overshoot it by 10%, there's a bigger pie. So is it taking on funding? Is it bringing in new people? What is it? And then there's the other question, which is the problem that you're solving. So for a lot of e-commerce brands, a lot of e-commerce sellers, myself specifically as well, I was focused on how do I make money so I can focus on something that matters? But a way you could flip that around is, how do I make money while focusing on something that matters? So yeah, I like that instead, of, instead of selling the outdoors equipment, what if I sold solar panels? Instead of selling this, what if I was to create the platform that allowed merchants? In, and, and, and what if instead of creating the platform for processing better, um, I don't know, 
Facebook ads, the app, app for that? What if I created the app that helped rural farmers in Africa import their products to the US and cut out the middlemen? They made more money and suddenly we changed the world and I made a freaking fortune doing it. What are the ways that you can think about better problems and more important problems? Then there are things that people don't think about a lot. And some of, the, some of it comes down to mindset. Some of it, some of it comes down to the woo-woo stuff. And then some of it, I think the most dangerous stuff comes down to those self-limiting beliefs that everybody has that none of us acknowledge. But then when you look back on it, it's like, shit, I was probably sabotaging myself there and I didn't realize it or I was shortchanging myself. If you can get over that kind of stuff, then you can accomplish a lot more with a lot less. And that's really tough. And I think that happens a lot. I think self-sabotage or or not believing that you are capable of something huge or something great. uh, We all wrestle with that, whether that's kind of like the voice of a teacher, the voice of a parent that's kind of lingering and and bouncing around the chamber of our head or or whatever. We we all have those limiting beliefs for sure. Uh, One one of the things that that I love about looking at and considering 10x growth I know this is the way Larry Page kind of framed it. You know, he would always ask people that that came up with, you know, would come to him with, hey, here's a new project, a new product we should launch. And here's what I think the number could be. And he'd say, well, how could you get 10x that? And and it just forces you to think differently because if I were to look at my business or you look at your business and you were to say, how can we double it? Well, some people could look at their business and say, I could double it by working twice as hard. Like I, I, I could conceivably potentially work double the hours. Um, not advisable, but but this within the realm of possibility. But 10x, I can't work 10 times more than I am now. I can't work 10 times the hours. But the good news is that's not even necessary. It's a, it's about thinking. I'm so I'm going about the problem entirely the wrong way. It's not about me. It's about delegation. It's about tools and systems and people and all those things. And and you're right, like your targets and your clients and all those things. And so it's just such a cool exercise to look at. Okay, here's my business now. So I'm at, I'm at five million dollars now. How do I get to 50? I'm at 50. How do I get to 500? Uh, and, and thinking about 10Xing and just stretch those limits, even if you decide, because ultimately, I think it's also valid to say, well, I don't want to be a $500 million a year company. Great. You know, I think ultimately you want to maximize for happiness, right? But, but at least going through that exercise of looking at how would we 10X stretches your beliefs, stretches, you know, what you think is possible, and then will push you to, to ultimately better results. So, big uh, awesome exercise. I'm glad you brought up that it might not be what you want as well. So think about what you're building before you build it because a lot of times you build a job you hate otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Awesome, man. Well, this has been exceptionally fun. Um, And I I know for a fact we could dig into some of these other topics or or, or a lot of other topics you talk about that are a little bit outside of uh, my realm of expertise and a little bit over my head. Uh, But this has been extremely fun for people that say, man, I need to hear more of Matt. I need to hear more of his ideas and, and uh, what he believes the future holds and things like that. How can people connect with your podcast? How can they find the book? How can they connect with you online? So if you want to hear more from me, A, I recommend that you double speed the podcast so you don't have to listen to too much of me. But if you go to disruptors.fm, uh, the podcast is called The Disruptors. And we I get quite literally the smartest, most interesting folks in the world on. It's like a long-form TED. TED's great, but it's 5 to 10, 15 minutes. You have someone talking about this one little topic that they've canned this presentation. It's an incredible and interesting, but you really don't get into the weeds. You don't get into the other related technologies. You don't get into the ethics of what happens when we start to automate. What happens when we have robots that become conscious? What happens as we start to go into space? So we dive into the really interesting, really fun stuff. That's disruptors.fm. 
if you're interested in the future of Google, the future of Amazon, Facebook, Apple, if you want to know where the where the industry is headed so that you can prep your business for the future, disruptors.fm slash free. Just add in your email address and you can get the entire thing. I put a bunch of effort into the book only to realize that this isn't the type of book that sells very well because it's more of an article than it is of... It's more of in, informative than it is of like, here's a book and here's a thesis and you should believe it. So I decided to just give it away for free for people because it's it's great for... It's great for entrepreneurs to not get screwed by the tech giants. And then if you're interested in learning a little bit more about me and what I do, mattward.io, it's a personal site. You can find my blog there. My Twitter is mattward.io. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all that you need to find me. Unfortunately, there's a ton of Matt Wards because it's your typical white guy name. So I got <laughs> to do my best to got to do my best to bring up the rear. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, Matt Ward, ladies and gentlemen. Matt, really appreciate the time, man. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for doing it, Brad. This has been fun. Awesome. So we will link to everything in the show notes. We'll link to the book. We'll link to uh, Matt's site and the podcast. I do recommend you check it out. It's super fun stuff. You know, Facebook, Amazon, Google, and uh, uh, whatever I just forgot. Uh, <laughs> the evil tech giants. Yeah, exactly. The evil tech giants. They will be shaping the future for sure. So check that out. Um, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Would you like to hear more of, less of, topic ideas? Fire those our way. Uh, we'd love to get that review from you as well. That helps other people find out uh, the show. Uh, thanks again to Matt and to all of you. Thanks, guys. Leave a review. It takes a ton of effort for Brett to do this, and he does a great podcast. It's, it's important to leave a review. Awesome. Thanks, dude. All right. Until next time. Later, everybody. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.